0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.
1: Thanks for joining
0: us. TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast.
1: You are now tuned in to this episode of our podcast. Today we are going to interview some of the greatest and most influential minds in our field. And now... Please welcome your host. <laughs> You're
0: listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981.
1: And we're back. It's always a pleasure to have Rabbi Daniel J. Glassing with us. He's the Robin founder of Mahon Magad Harakia in Cedarhurst, New York. He's a contemporary writer, speaker. He has over 5,000 recorded shiurim, and he has a fascinating series of books on different holidays and Including his one that came out last year called "The Darkness and the Dawn," Benaz, Benam Tzaram, Tishabov, the Four Fast, the Holocaust Memorial, the Anguish of the Gullis, and the Glory of the Jewish Attorney, Rabbi Glassing. Welcome back. Good to have you back on the program. Good
0: evening, Zach. How are you?
1: Good. Thank God. Thank you for joining us. So I I enjoyed your say for on Tishbev, and I found some very unique thoughts in there. So I'd like to start off with something which deals with the melody of Echa. We go Echa, na 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 na. You said there's a correlation between the Echa melody and Simcha's Torah. Yeah, I'd like it, you to reflect on that.
0: Yeah, it's really a uh, uh, revolutionary discovery, I think. Now, you know, the Echa niga Echa ha ya Shabbatad, am But the Simcha's Torah nigan is almost identical. Uh, but there's only one, uh, there's one difference. The difference is, It ends so up on an upbeat note. It ends up on an
1: note.
0: In, in the upbeat note, a crescendo. So it goes to show that uh, the original Rebbe says that there's a parallel between Tisha B'Av and Simchas Torah. Namely, you have nine days of sorrow, of mourning, uh, in the nine days, Tisha B'Av, and you have nine days of joy, beginning with Sukkot and the ninth day being uh, Simchas Torah. And that's, they said, that's in Gala,
1: but that's not in Eretz Israel, though. That's not in Israel, only in Gaulos. In,
0: in, in Gaulos, that's true. But you know, it's interesting, Chassam Sofer writes, you know, Mashiach comes, they'll have a. Extra day Yom in Eretz Yisrael also. But that's for a different occasion. By the way,
1: I, that, saw, I saw brought down that there'll be nine days of Hanukkah when Mashiach comes to far-flung communities too. Sementa's so okay. Chinuch writes that, yes.
0: Okay, nice. So
1: uh, the, these
0: two sets of uh, time parallel each other. In fact, Tishabov is the day of Yirmiya Hanavi. Yirmiya was born on Tisha He cursed the day of his birth. Simchas is the day of Shlomo HaMelech. We talk about on Shemini Saras. We, we read about how Shlomo blessed the people. Kabbalistically, Yermia was the Gilgal of Shlomo HaMelech. So that's also another parallel. Um, what reincarnation. I ha- what I happened to see, reincarnation, I saw last night, very late last night, that Tisha B'av is the yard site of the Choyza of Lublin, one of the great Hasidic masters. And in the last year of his life, um, they couldn't find him on Simchas Torah. And they were looking for him. Where did the Rebbe go? And apparently he had fallen out the window, but not just fallen out the window, the entire window caved in. And upon further study, they discovered that he was involved in some kind of divine communion. He was trying to like pressure the Almighty to bring the redemption. And he sort of pressed too hard. You know, he he overstepped his uh, his boundary and the dark side tried to take him away and he got injured but he ended up passing away that year on Tishabav which also is brought that that shows a correlation between Simchas Torah and Tishabav. This injury occurred on Simchas Torah, and he and he passed away on Tishabav So we have this uh, two parallel times of the year. In fact, I mean this is an amazing discovery. If you look in the Sefer Torah and Parshas Pinchas that talks about all the yamim Tovim, all the holidays. So it talks about Rosh Hashanah, it talks about Pesach, Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. Now, in between each holiday, there is what we call a parsha sesuma, or a samach in the Chumash. And in the Sefer Torah, what this means is the previous subject ends in the middle of the line, and the new subject begins on that very line. So in other words, all there is is a space it could be as little as four letters of empty space. But the previous subject ends on the line, and the new subject begins on that very line. So in between Pesach and Shavuos, it's what we call Parsha Susuma. It ends and it's begins closed. on the same line. It's closed. It's closed between Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. It's closed between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. It's closed. But in between Shavuos and Rosh Hashanah, it's open, which means Shavuos ends in the middle of the line. Rosh Hashanah does not begin until the very next line. So what, why is it open? Well, what is this gap between Shavuos and Rosh Hashanah? Are we are we are we trying to fill something in? So uh, the original Rebbe observes that yes, indeed, there is a holiday that will be inserted between Shavuos and Rosh Hashanah, namely Tishabav. So there's this gap in the Sefer Torah. It's awaiting. It's so. So what this means is that even though Eicha is read as a mournful dirge now. But like we see on Sivre's Torah, it just takes a little bit of a happy ending to transform the whole tune. So I, I came across, I was actually a, a friend of mine from France, Rufal Ansel, he gave me a commentary on Eicha uh, from the Benesh and he interprets how Echa will be read when Mashiach comes, that it will be transformed into a happy uh, Megillah. I'll give you just uh, s- uh, some quick examples. You know, literally we say "Echa Yashva Vadad, alas, the city dwells in solitude. That sounds very mournful, but uh, Ben interprets that. You no, know, it's actually talk, it's go, it's speaking about the bounty of Jerusalem. Almost every city in the world, no matter how pras- prosperous it is, relies on imports for some some type of resource. Yerushalayim will be so bountiful and full of blessing that it will be in solitude, meaning completely independent. That's, that's how the Megillah will be read. Um, My favorite interpretation is in Pasuk Vav. You know, we say, <laughs> Really, the way it's supposed to be, all Torah is supposed to emanate from Yerushalayim. Unfortunately, in the Golos, you have yeshivas all over the world, and not all Torah in the world comes from Yerushalayim. But the day will come, so we read in the sixth Pasuk, Literally, all the glory left Zion. It's empty of its glory, but it could be interpreted, when Mashiach comes, all the glory of Tyra will now only emanate from Zion. It won't have to come from New York or New Jersey. So,
1: <laughs> so it's putting a positive spin on what could be, but ne- we now reading is negative.
0: Right, right.
1: So in other words, so we're going to change the tune of Vecha.
0: I guess the tune will be, um <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> We can't wait for that. And of course, but on the very essence of Tisha B'Av, while well, it's the saddest day on the Jewish calendar, well, says the seeds of the greatest joy, Mashiach was born, or is born, on Tisha B'av. Yeah. The Medrash yeah. says Menachem is his name, right? That's uh, one yeah. of the names that they ascribed to him. Yeah, yeah. So where's Mashiach? If he's born already, where is he? Where is he hiding? Well, uh, you know, actually I just came back from uh,
0: Amsterdam. I was in Amsterdam. So there was um, of course, you know, Amsterdam was a hotbed of uh, Sabadian activity in the times of the Shabtai Tzvi. And one thing that um, Rabbi Yaakov Sasportas was one of the main opponents of Shabtai Tzvi. He said "Mashiach has to be born in Israel. So... uh, so,
1: right, so... <laughs>
0: he disqualified uh, the Shabditsi on that account. Uh, yeah. I,
1: I think they say, that according to the Midrash, is that there was an Arab uh, merchant who, there was a Jew outside of Israel. Uh, he was out in the diaspora and he was had two cows together, working together, and he said, where are you are from? He says, I'm from Israel. He says, you're stopped, you know, you unhooked the animals because the base of Midrash was destroyed. Then they're chatting, and he says, okay, you can hook him up again and work together because Mashiach right. was born. Right. So according to that medrash that, that, uh, that this, uh, what happened was he sold all his merchandise, he moved, went to Israel he went to Beis Lech, and We found the woman where she had the child that was Mashiach and um, he, he gave her food, stuff on credit. When he came back there she said, my son's unlucky because he was taken away, the wind blew him and according to the medrash he was taken to Gan Eden, waiting to be brought back from Gan Eden. That's the medrash. Mm-hmm whatever you want to describe that particular madrish. But but it is an interesting question. Mashiach was born on this day. Where is he? And according to at least this interpretation, he's waiting in the Garden of Eden for us. Right, right. We're speaking with Rabbi Daniel J. Gladstein. He is the Rav and founder of Macho Magadaraki in Cedarhurst, New York. His book, he has quite a few books on Jewish holidays. This one we're looking at is called The Darkness and the Dawn, Looking at Tisha B'Av. You know, Rabbi Gladstein, there was a movement. Um, you know, in Israel, they have a Yom HaShoah, a day of, of of commemorating the Holocaust. But there was some thought, and I think Rav Soloveitchik was of the opinion that the day of Holocaust memorials should be moved to Tishbub. All the tragedies are embedded in Tishbub, and therefore it should be commemorated on Tishbub itself. It didn't happen, but there was such a thought. I was curious to get your perspective.
0: Yeah, well,. Um you know that that's an important uh, hashkafa that was the opinion of the Briska Rav, as well as rav moshe feinstein not to uh, not to commemorate the holocaust independently of Tishbav, um, because all jewish tragedy could be traced back to the uh, destruction of the temple in fact uh, rav moshe uh, um addresses a very uh, fascinating question he says well why then you know if you look in the commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch, the 20th day of Sivan was reserved for commemorating the Khalmanitsky pogroms. So so it was uh, brought to uh, it was asked to Ramosha, so we see that there are tragedies that are more in, independent of Tishabav. So Ramosha said you can't compare Khalmanitsky pogroms to Holocaust. He said a fascinating distinction. He said the Khalmanitsky pogroms, Ramosha says, any any uh disaster, or any persecution that is perpetrated by the reigning government is a result of based on Mikdash. Anytime there's persecution from the power, uh, the reigning power, that's a result of the destruction of the temple. The Khamenevsky pogroms were anti-establishment, anti-government pogroms. It was rebellion. So that's not a result of the Chorban. Chorban is only the Romans destroyed the temple. They, so to speak, usurped the Jewish supremacy. So any evil perpetrated by the Roman government or whatever the reigning government is, that could be traced back to Horbin. But Moshe says anything that's anti-government or rebellion, that's independent of Horbin.
1: Interesting, because the Crusades are also commemorated on tishabav by some of the Kinos.
0: So, right, that's interesting because the, the, the Crusades were in a way um also anti-government.
1: Well no, I think um, they were weren't they government sponsored?
0: So it's 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 somewhat of a question because um you know when, when the crusaders finished attacking the Jews, often they attacked the the governors or the government. Um you had these knights, I mean this is a separate subject you had these knights roaming Europe and they were just pillaging and and violating and uh, so the government sort of allowed them to take out the wrath on the Jews. But often, after they finished with the Jews, they they, uh, they pillaged the governor's palaces and homes. And uh, so that's why they sent them off to Jerusalem. So, I mean, there's what to discuss regarding that.
1: Right, because the pogroms are, once they finish killing Jews, they end up stealing from other people, too. It's once uh, you unleash these dark forces, they, they just don't stop with the Jews, yeah. unfortunately. But uh, but it's it's fascinating because Tisha B'Av is a day we commemorate a lot. What about the Spanish Inquisition? There's no kinna for the Spanish Inquisition, which also, according to tradition, the Jews were expelled from Spain on Tisha B'Av, 1492.
0: This is uh, a question that has been uh, stirring my heart for many years. You know, here it is. We know that Fernanda and Isabella, they scheduled for August 2nd, 1492. Al-Barbanel says they didn't even realize it was Tishbub. It happens on Tishbub. We commemorate like, practically every other disaster, and this one is conspicuously absent. So, in the past, and this is what I write in the book, um, you know, that barbanel ruled that when they were expelled from Spain, they were expelled amidst um, music. Even though it was Tishbub, he allowed them to play music on Tishbub. So, one of the reasons he gave is because uh, he didn't want the Jews to fall into despair. But another reason is because a uh, Jew never cries when they leave the gallus, because we never belonged in the gallus in the first place. So the, I, I, I believe that one of the reasons we don't mourn the Spanish uh, uh, expulsion is because what are we crying about? That we left the golden Gallus of Spain? We didn't belong there. That's not our home. A Jew doesn't cry when they leave the gallus, A Jew cries when they're murdered. A Jew cries when they're persecuted. But leaving Gallus? We never belonged there in the first place.
1: But a lot of Jews were killed during the Inquisition, which began on that day. So, as the beginning, not only Jews that left, but Jews who stayed ended so, up getting crucified. Yes.
0: Yeah, so actually, and burnt at a stake. So this is also an important historical point, and that is the expulsion was scheduled for August second. The expulsion was of those Jews who were practicing Judaism openly. Until that day, Jews who professed to be observant had no problem in Spain. The issue was as follows. In 1391, there were 200,000 forced conversions in Spain. Any Jew who allowed himself to be converted for the 100 years before 1492 was now a new, a new Christian. A new Christian, that now there was a, they were under suspicion that maybe they were practicing Judaism in secret. So for those Jews, there was inquisition. The inquisition was they were inquiring as to whether they were observing Christianity in secret as well. But the Jews who openly observed Judaism had no problem in Spain. So the Inquisition had been going on for decades in Spain. But what Turcamada was afraid of was Turkomada, the Grand Inquisitor, he tells Ferdinand, so long as Jews are openly practicing Judaism in Spain, they're going to be encouraging the new Christians and maybe they're being uh, observing Judaism in secret. So the truth is, Expulsion was, was scheduled for Tishabov, but the Inquisition had been going on for decades. And, and this year I, I've come to realize that to commemorate the expulsion of 1492 is really missing the much greater tragedy of a hundred years of torture, of being burnt alive, of really barbaric treatment of the conversos, of the conversos of the Muranos. I mean, that was the far greater tragedy than the fact that Jews who openly observed Judaism were thrown out in 1492. The real tragedy, Zev, is that hundreds of thousands of Jews converted. Now, we don't like to talk about that. And I think the reason why we don't talk about the Inquisition on Tisha is because it's downright embarrassing for us. This was really the only time in our history that large segments of the community defected from our religion. We never had it before, We've never had it since. There were individuals throughout history, but in Spain, hundreds of thousands of Jews left the fold. And I think, you know, like the Gemara says, that there's certain episodes in the Chumash we don't read the Targum of because of the honor of the Jewish people. The the era of Spanish Jewry is really a source of great embarrassment. And, you know, I'm just going to, you know, say it straight. It wasn't only regular... um, it, it, it affected the all strata of Jews from Rabbanim, Rosh Yeshiva, Mayalim. There were great people who left the fold as well. There was a rabbi, Rabbi Solomon Levy. There were other Rabbanim. And it's it's an era in Jewish history that's um, probably the darkest, really the darkest days for Jewish people were, were the Spanish era. Um, and I found in the writings of the Raived, that this was worse than based on Mekdash. This is a tragedy. We don't mourn on Tishbab. It's worse than the tragedy of the Khorban. To have such um, wholesale defection, uh, we never had before and we never had since.
1: Well, actually, we had something similar according to the Medrash in Egypt. Yeah. Four fifths of Jews died during the darkness plague. True. Only one fifth left. from to talking millions of Jews that didn't want to become Jewish or stay Jewish or leave to get Eretz Israel.
0: Right. Look, in Egypt, you had people, maybe their faith was not complete, but to abandon the religion and to convert, that's, uh you know, you're not going to read about this in the...
1: Right. The question with the Muranos is, it wasn't a full conversion, is that they still practice Judaism in secret. So it wasn't as if they just say, hey, I love Christianity, I'm becoming a Christian. It was under... Coercion, and they still maintain Jewish ties that's why we had so many Muranos. you have so many so much Jewish blood. you came back from Spain. Absolutely a lot right. of people in Spain have Jewish blood
0: yeah, according Jewish to heritage Europe, according to secular historians, as much as eighty percent of Spaniards have uh, Jewish blood, but not all Jews were practicing Judaism in secret, yes, surely many were, but um, the the reality of what was happening was probably from the darkest uh, times in our history.
1: No, certainly was, and the uh, Moranos were a lot of them, but I'm sure a lot of people converted, Jews converted, and stayed converted over the course of time. Our guest is Rabbi, founder of the Mechom Maga Hurricane and Cedarhurst, Rabbi Daniel Glatstein. His book that we're exploring is The Darkness and the Dawn, relating to Tisha B'av. You Tell a story about Chief Rabbi of Palestine, Rabbi Herzog. Tell us, share that with our audience. Um. Are you referring to uh, when, he, when he visited the wait, wait, Pope? Rabbi Barrowine was, uh, was oh, a know, little boy. Oh, that's one of
0: my uh, favorite stories. My grandfather actually met Rabbi Herzog in the DP camps. Rabbi Herzog had with him a list of uh, the names of 10,000 boys and girls who were given to Christian institutions, monasteries, and so forth during the war. And he had audience with Pope Pius, and he said, Here, I have a list of all the boys and girls. I have the names. You know, give us back our children. Right now you're kidnapping them. And the Pope slams the door on his face. He says, look, all these Jews have been baptized. Once a Jew is baptized, we can never return him. And, um, you know, uh, nothing, thanks, but no thanks. So Rabbi Wein tells a story that Rabbi Herzog visited his community in Chicago in the, in, uh, after the war. And he's telling this story to the audience. And he turns to the young men and he says, he breaks down crying. And after weeping copiously, he lifts up his head and he says, there's nothing I can do for these 10,000 boys and girls. But what are you going to do? What are you young men going to do for the future of the Jewish people? That was the challenge uh, that Rabbi Herzog uh, posed to uh, those young men. And uh, Rabbi Wein says this is a challenge that always uh, reverberates in his ears. And really, this is what we have to think about on Tisha B'Av. Because, you know, while we're... We have, we have three weeks, we have nine days, we have the week that Sh- Tisha comes out in, and here it is, Tisha itself, and after a few hours in the morning, we get off the floor, we get up already, like we're done, we're finished, we're, we're done with this. You know, we don't even give, we give it a full day. What's this custom in the middle of the day? We just get up and uh, we're done. So I think the idea is that a Jew doesn't uh, allow himself the luxury to wallow in self-pity and just sit on the floor and say, woe to me. We got to pull ourselves off the floor, roll up our sleeves, and say, "What are we going to do for the future of the Jewish people?" So on Tisha B'av itself, we don't even give it the full day. We're already off the floor, and we're uh, pl- we're planning, we're plotting what we could do to to help rebuild ourselves.
1: But Jews never supposed to give in to despair. Yeah. So even the saddest day of the year has elements of hope fact, I think I may have mentioned last time we spoke where by Daniel Melman used to be with the Little Beach Synagogue, he's in the 5,000 now, he said the word darkness, if it's, you give it a little kvetch, it turns into it into morning into light. So that's our goal, is, is that even the darkest moments have elements of light, and we just got to pivot to, to the right direction, and it will be enlightened by it. I think it's a powerful, powerful thought uh, for Tisha Um No matter how bleak things are, things will get better. Well, the, the the question though is though, um, it's unfortunate, and is that an Eretz world today? We're we're finding such division, especially you, around Tish time. Unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Well. Uh, yes, there's division, but you know, on the other hand, there's also um, there's also truth, and. Um, you know, look, this is an issue that if it would be relevant if it would be any other country in the world, it would be instinctive that why should uh why should a democracy um be controlled by any other member of the of the government? But when it comes to when it comes to Israel, you know, every every country has a double standard with Israel. And that they they fuel the fire. Um but you know, Hashem should send uh peace. To, to our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael and peace
1: uh, No, we need we need we need peace and we need unity, but that's probably the fact listen, the first base of Migdras the first temple was destroyed because we didn't follow the laws of the Torah, we didn't keep Shemitah but God let us come back after 70 years, but the second temple, the second base of Migdras destroyed because of sin and sin because of baseless hatred We're still in exile 2,000 years later. So that's the roots uh, of why we're still in Gullahs, why we're still in exile. And the question is, how do we, and I asked you this question, I know it's hard to answer, but as a leader in the community, how do we foster more unity among our people? Because that will bring the Mashiach. That's what turned away the base of me, Well, what will bring it back, is we're all together. And how do we do it?
0: Yeah, look, you know, uh we've been we've been trying to figure that out for two thousand years. But even look, even the, the, the Gemara that talks about uh the what we call chinam and Kamsa Barkamsa, there's a lot more there than just trivial and petty dispute. Um if you look in Josephus, you'll will discover that Barkamsa was like a uh, spy on behalf of the tzedokim. And the the strife and the quarreling here, we're not it's not talking about um well, you know, people couldn't get along because one was a little bit more observant, a little bit less observant, one was more black, while one was more white. This was a matter of hatred of the tzedoikim to the traditional Jews. So even though it's not popularized that way, the story of Kamsa Barakamsa is popularized as, well, why can't we all, all our Jews get along? But in fact, even if you look in Josephus, the, the sinas chinam here that we're talking about, was the hatred of uh, of the Sadduchen, those who denied the authority of the oral law of the observant Jews, and in a certain sense, you know, history repeats itself. Um, I don't know if now's the time to get into this analysis of Kamsa Bar Kamsa. No, but, well, let's, uh,
1: let's 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 close with that, because I think it's fascinating <laughs> because it, it seemed, the opinion seems to be at least how I've learned it. It had. Uh, the situation been different where he wouldn't have thrown him out that would have averted a lot of tragedy,
0: yeah. But uh, there, there's more to the story. Um, it seems like the issue was that uh, the Sadokim were not allowing traditional rabbinic Judaism to, uh, to continue, um, and in a certain sense, that's what we see today. Uh, you know, how do you foster unity? Well we need a we need, uh, true Torah leadership, true to- Torah leadership where if our nation is a nation not through a geolo- um, geographical location but through the Torah, like Rav Sadigon teaches, that, Ein uma Torah, then uh, allegiance to Torah true Judaism is our most compelling unifying uh, force. Um, again, easier said than done, but uh the unity that we need is not a ma- ma- is more than just you know um overlooking people's uh yamaka color or clothing color the unity that that's required is uh unifying under the banner of uh Hashem and the Taira. so uh it's a matter of jewish education it's a matter of uh of learning it's a matter of teaching it's a matter of understanding um and those who are steeped in the values of Torah, then sort of it's natural people won't get caught up in uh, what we call superficial trappings.
1: I remember Rav the first uh, chief rabbi of Israel, if I remember correctly, and some others that said the question was is how could the irreligious, maybe they were anti-religious, secular Jews, the Zionists who build the country. So I think one of them said, I think talks about Yeovil, the Jubilee Year. First, you you'd return to your isha First, you return to your property. Then you return to the or You return to religion. So, there's something to be said about bringing people in, being makar of them, bringing them close, even though they were those that was those secular Zionists of the early days were anti-religious. But yet, there's a thought about bringing them in. And look at the kibbutzim today. Those that were the most rabid leftist kibbutzim became more observant as time went on. So. Uh, things change, and that's because of a positive attitude, a strong attitude, and even in just row, when they had a recent demonstration, I believe in B'nai Brock, instead of throwing stones, they brought out Shon to them, to the demonstrators. That created a whole different dimension as opposed to throwing stones, getting to a shouting match. So they're still our brothers and sisters, and whether they're religious or not, we have to reach out and show, set an example for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: the, the approach of... Um
0: a violent protest we know doesn't work and uh doesn't doesn't produce desired results. But uh like we like we Davin, we say shalom <speaking in Hebrew> shalom that uh the Almighty he uh he should engender the peace among our people and we await that great day.
1: Amen, Amen. What's your next book gonna be?
0: The next book is about uh, the Tana Ravi Meir. Rav Meir's opinion is that uh, a Jew is always considered the, the child of Hashem, no matter what they do. So I have that safer in Lashon Kodesh. Now I'm working on it in English for Art Scroll. So, oh, very
1: nice, which brings to the unity theme. Even the worst Jew is full of mitzvahs, like, like a pomegranate, right? Like a pomegranate, yeah. That's right. So That's we, right. we have to be always be down the cops, of course. All well, right, Dan J. Gladson, we appreciate you being with us. I'm looking forward to your next book. And I recommend From the Darkness and the Dawn, say for Magadurk here on, on Tisha B'Av and related days. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Have an easy fast. Okay. Thank you for tuning in to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast, the pulse beat of the Jewish community.
0: For continuous Jewish programs, talklinenetwork.com we our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms, or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to network.com. Follow us on Facebook, Hello? Twitter, and Instagram. Hello?
1: You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.